time for the Tom Sumner Program. The Tom Sumner Program is a live variety show with music, comedy and special guest interviews every Monday through Friday. Oh, it's always a pleasure to be with you, Tom. You know that. Yay, Tom! I love it in Flint! You're very astute, Tom. Have an easy question. I'll debate Andy Dillon on your show. Well, uh, that's a very good question. Uh, Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm all right, Tom. How are you? Hey, lucky team, Mr. Sumner. Ciao, Tom. How are you today? That's a good question. <laughs> Hi, this is actor, comedian Jonah Pody, and you're listening to the Tom Snyder, uh, Tom Smothers. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry, what's his name? Oh, Sumner. The Tom Sumner Program. Good morning, Tom. How are you doing? Hey, at least I got the Tom part right. Stay tuned, because it's on now. The Tom Sumner Program. COVID-19 is the biggest health crisis in our lifetime. We're working around the clock with doctors and hospitals to stop it, but we need your help. Even if you don't feel sick, you could be carrying it. And just one person with the virus can infect another 40, who then infect thousands more. So I've issued an executive order requiring everyone to stay home to help limit the spread of the virus. Let's protect the people we love. Stay home and stay safe. Hi, this is Gretchen Whitmer, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. It's time now for Armchair Politics. Join host Tom Sumner for this weekly reality check on current events in local, state and national politics and the real issues that really matter. You too can be part of Armchair Politics. Find us on Facebook. We let the dogs off their leash. Stay tuned, because it's on now. Hey, welcome to this week's edition of Armchair Politics, our weekly roundtable on the Tom Sumner Program. Joining me for today's edition of Armchair Politics, our panel of political pundits includes our uh, regulars on the left, uh, Flint's premier political pundit, Paul Rosicki. Paul, welcome. Good morning. Good to be here. On the right, longtime Genesee County Republican Henry Hatter. Henry, always good to talk with you. Thank you, Tom. Good morning. And last but not... Morning, Henry. And last but not least, joining uh, joining our roundtable regulars, former Flint Mayor Dane Walling. Hi, Dane. Thank you. Good morning, Good morning everyone, and happy post-election day. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> yeah, good morning, Dane. And, and uh, every election, there's an armchair politics the next day. That's why we picked Wednesdays, actually. Um, but we always start with a few quotes before we get into... Uh, uh, some of the election stuff. Um, and the first one is uh, our finish the quote. Um, Politics has become so expensive that what? How would you finish this quote? Hmm. That, uh, millionaires can't afford to lose. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, well, the original quote was Politics has become so expensive that it takes a lot of money even to be defeated. <laughs> mm. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, that's true. Some <laughs> very true. 
That, that yeah. comes from Will Rogers. Oh. But the uh, quote of the week, and uh, very appropriate for um, the, the post-election edition of Armchair Politics, whether you call it vote by mail or absentee voting, in Florida the election system is safe and secure, tried and true. Florida's voting system has been cleaned up, so in Florida I encourage all to request a ballot and vote by mail. The governor, uh, President Trump. Was that Trump who switched gears on that? No, I, I think that's the governor of Florida. No, it was, in fact, uh, President Donald Trump on Tuesday claimed Florida's election system is safe and secure and encouraged uh, Floridians to vote by mail after repeatedly seeking to discredit mail-in voting. (laughs) Yeah, But the other 49 states are all a mess except for Florida. Yeah. (laughs) That was the last moment uh, comment by the president. Uh, Yes, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, the question is, do you think that absentee voting or voting by mail or early voting, as it is called in uh, some other states, is as safe as voting at the polls? Most studies show that it is, you know. Um, well, you have to, if you believe in the American people, yes, it's safe. But if you're, uh, if you follow the gangsters that are out there, and they're in both parties, and and there are people out there not for the interest of the American people, it's no. But if you put the rest on the American people, it's safe. Because the American you know, people, I mean, uh, that's how they want it, and that's how they perceive it. Yeah, I think you're right, Henry. I think, I mean, the fact is you can cheat with any system, but most studies show that there's just a the, the minuscule amount of voter fraud going on whether it's vote by mail or, or the traditional system, there just isn't there isn't much out there for all the talk and all the hoopla about it. It's just not a big issue in practice. Yeah, I think I'd like to see more of the more of the drop off boxes so that it doesn't actually have to go through the US Postal Service because I mean if anything right now with the volume of mail that the Postal Service is getting I think there's just a, a far likely um, chance of someone's ballot just simply being delayed in the mail than, than yeah. anything else. And if um, if clerks are able to set up these drop boxes, you know, let you know at the library and at City Hall and you know, few per Burston Field House, just speaking about the Flint community, then someone could receive that ballot <coughs> and know that it's dropped in a, a highly secure location and and cut the postal service out of it i, I think that's going to be the biggest problem it's not but it's not i think but i think you i think you're degrading the postal services too low since the pony express one of the greatest services that america's provided for its people is the postal service it's still well, you know, I, it has its, it has its problems here and there uh, through union disagreements, but it still does a good job. Yeah, you know, you know Henry, I, uh, I, I agree with, with Dana. I was, I was concerned. for the first, This is the first time in many, many, many years that I voted absentee, and I did it by mail because we were at the post office, so I just dropped it off there. And it was about two weeks ago, and then I began hearing all these stories about, gee, the mail is going to be delayed and your vote might not arrive. 
And so I went to a website. You could check and see if your ballot has actually arrived at, at City Hall. And it did. Within about three days after we mailed it, three or four days, it, it showed it, it did arrive at City Hall. But, but I, that's true. Those drop boxes are nice, especially for folks who are, you know, waiting to the last weekend. Uh, I took a few pictures at City Hall yesterday, and there were people coming in continually, dropping things off at the drop box in front of City Hall. And clearly, if you put it in the mail yesterday or the day before, you weren't going to get it delivered to City Hall in time, probably. So it's good to have those drop boxes around. They're, they're very may, helpful. And may I, I think just in the future, add, I may use those myself. May I just add this one point? I don't disagree with Dane. I don't disagree with you either, Paul. But I used a drop box because I had to drop something off to the, um, the county clerk <clears throat> uh, a couple of days ago. And those are good. Uh, supplements to the postal services. They really are. That. No, but I, I want to say that. that postal service has been really good. Over the yeah. Well, and I'm, I'm still somebody, Henry, who, you know, I still write letters and put a stamp on them and put them in the mail. So I, I agree with, I mean, the postal service is really phenomenal. I, I just, as long as we have these strict requirements that a ballot has to be <clears throat> received by a clerk by 8 p.m. on election day, um, you know, I just think on any given day, the the postal, you know, that ballot could arrive the the next morning, and uh, unfortunately, it just wouldn't get counted. And I, 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 you know, well, that the the fix for that, I think, is probably what the IRS does, and <laughs> that's if it's uh, postmarked by a certain time, then then if for some reason the post office is slow getting it to. Uh, city hall or the county clerk um at, at least it's still valid and can be added to the vote totals before they're yes. officiated yeah yeah yes. of course that would be that's going to delay your vote reporting for some elections potentially if you've got votes coming in three four or five days late uh i can see some races potentially being changed uh, long after we assume they were decided now were you at all were you all I, I yeah, sorry, Tom. No, go ahead, Dean. Well, I do think it'd be interesting, and this will be a number. Um, I'll be curious to see if is reported. Let's just use Michigan as an example, since we do now have the um, you know the mail option for no reason absentee. I wonder if we'll ever get a report on how many ballots showed up after election day. You know, oh, good point. A, if that's a big, if that's a big number, it could it could cause us to rethink how we want to do that. If we find there's, you know, 20, 30,000, 50,000 votes that showed up on Wednesday and Thursday. Mm, um, yeah. That would be, you know, point. that's hard to ignore, I think. That'd be interesting but, to know. And, and one thing I wanted to add to what Dane was saying about uh, preferring, not preferring, but making sure that a component was drop boxes so that people could not rely on the U.S. Postal Service, but deliver ballots to uh, various uh, uh, receptacles, um, is that I think the mail, uh, the the option to mail has, uh, has bolstered participation a little bit. Um, I, I was reading something like 26% yesterday. Yeah, that's, that's one number I saw. Uh, in fact, I, I've got the, uh, the the county clerk's website here. Yeah, twenty six percent so far. That's seventy four percent reporting, but twenty six percent turnout 
as of yesterday, as of, uh, I think, late last night. I'm not sure what the time It was, was right around right. midnight, because I have those same numbers, Paul. And, um, mm-hmm. and, and uh, yeah, it said 26, uh, 26%. And that seems like more than usual. Well, yeah, I think 20% is kind of the average for the primaries, so 26. And, again, I assume they've only reported 74% of the precincts already, so I assume that's probably going to climb, I would think, uh, when the others come in. So, yeah, no, it looks like it's uh, substantially, significantly higher than than most run-of-the-mill primaries in August. Well, let me let me squeeze one more in here uh, on, a, on a similar topic. Um, this is another quote. What if Trump foments right-wing provocateurs and then sends out the military to put out the fire he created? Oh, hmm. Well, you know so who said that? <clears throat> that, that's great uh, speculation, but I don't think the, the American people couldn't stand that. This is, this is uh, former Michigan Governor not, Jennifer Granholm. Oh, no kidding. Raised the, oh, raised the possibility oh. of President Donald Trump seizing ballot boxes mm-hmm. after the November election during a Friday morning panel discussion on CNN. Her comments uh, made during a discussion of the work of the 100-member Bipartisan Transition Integrity Project, which Granholm was a part of, and which explored various scenarios around a contested election, drew immediate criticism from former White House Press Secretary Ari Fleischer. Um, But uh, Granholm, a Democrat, stood by her comments. Granholm's Friday comments followed a tweet from Trump Thursday in which he raised the possibility of delaying the election after criticizing the high number of mail-in votes expected because of the coronavirus pandemic. If the president challenges the results of the November election, what are his chances of victory in Congress or the courts? I don't think he would have any. <clears throat> I mean, I, I I can't see any any serious. I can't. I, I, can, I think that the danger is that if he drags it out with lawsuits, if it'll under undermine the legitimacy of whoever the winner yes. is. Yes. That's probably the the biggest harm will come out of it. Yeah. Of a game, of a that would be like my that. concern. Yeah, Tom. Yeah. I'm wondering if you have uh, Tom Gore, uh, Al Gore's phone number. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's right. It'd be yeah, nice to have thing. him weigh in on this, wouldn't it? Um, <laughs> that's right. That's right. Yeah, we, yeah we've been there in two thousand. But I, I think that these kind of uh, comments and speculation is undermining the whole American system of government and belief in government, because these are ridiculous kind of suppositions that should not be in our minds. We have functioned as a nation, follow as a rule of law nation, for um, 240 years without an incident. Well, we need to well, take, of course. Paul, we need to take a break right okay. there, but we're going to talk some more about yesterday's election and, and at least some of the trends. As uh, Paul mentioned, 74% of the... Uh, Votes have been tallied as of midnight last night. They're expecting sometime today to wrap up uh, the tabulations. But but there are some things trending already, and we'll get into those and much more when Armchair Politics continues after we let our broadcast partners squeeze in a few words, and we have some messages as well. 
Everybody's doing a brand new dance now. Hi, this is Mark Farner, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. Hi, I'm Dr. Jonay Caldoun. We know that COVID-19 is spreading rapidly across Michigan right now. The most important thing people can do to protect themselves is social distancing. That means unless you are a critical infrastructure worker or going out to get food or medicine for your home, you should be staying at home. Stay home, stay safe, save lives. Most of the music you hear on the Tom Sumner program is provided by local artists. Tune in Fridays at 11 for live music and conversation with some of the area's most talented singers, songwriters, and performers. Hi, this is Greg Nagy. Hey, this is Hoppa. Hi, this is Joe Bye from the Blue Lions. Hi, this is Alexander Zonjic. Hi, this is Mark Farner. This is Maurice Davis. Hi, this is Rochelle Ray. Hi there, folks. This is Sweet Willie T. This is Steve from the Nashville office. I'm Gwen Pennyman Hemphill. Tom Sumner Program, celebrating the rich talent pool from Flint, Genesee County, and throughout Michigan. In just a little while, you folks are going to have the pleasure not only hearing the songs of the star of the program and all, but you're also going to have the pleasure of hearing and watching and seeing in person the gentlemen and ladies who have been supplying the fine mu- music behind the curtain this evening. It's a wonderful orchestra. I love to hear them play. But and while you would possibly never even consider counting how many piece- pieces there are in the band, it so happens there are about, I think, 26, 27 members of the orchestra, the stage orchestra here. The only thing is they used to play in Hollywood. And when they were there in Hollywood, California, there were a 65-piece orchestra. And when they were hired by the International Hotel to come here and play, they all got on the the bus, all 65 of them with their instruments and everything, and headed out for Las Vegas. The only thing was, when they crossed the Nevada state line, they had fruit inspection, and this is all slack. Here are some most happy fellas, the four lads for Ford. Standing on the corner, watching all the Fords go by. Standing on the corner, giving all the Fords the eye. Look at it go, it's the Thunderbird's kissing cousin. Get in a Ford, give Ford a try. So don't be standing. 
This is Jill Stein, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. And welcome back, everybody. Armchair Politics continues now with our roundtable regulars, Paul Rosicki and Henry Hatter, joined by former Flint Mayor Dane Walling. Before the break, we were talking a little bit about, we just had just started talking about uh, uh, yesterday's election. We were talking about mail-in voting and mentioned that uh, um, as a result of the uh, uh, increased uh, uh, option of of mailing in your ballot um, that uh, 26 percent participated in the election. Does that seem like like a high number for a presidential primary? Like I say, historically it has been. I, like I said, yeah, it's usually yeah. been around 20, so it's it's yeah. it's above average. And that was true in May too for the mail-in. That very very small mail-in election we had last May, that those numbers, again, ran ahead of the averages. And uh, it, it just seems to me that the math doesn't figure out here. You know, the polling stations are are loaded up with people as if they were predicting the maximum number to show up. But only when you get only 20% of the people showing up, 20% of the 75% that you referred to, Paul, um, yeah. there, there should not be uh, the gaps that we're seeing. It should move faster if you take well, you a look know, at well, the math. One question I, ha- I have is, it, as I understand it, they don't start counting the absentee votes until uh, 8 o'clock election day. Is that correct? I believe I heard that. And uh, I always I, wondered I, why I, they couldn't count them. The only the only thing I've seen on that is that according to Michigan law, and I'm not sure that there's a time, but they're not allowed to start counting them until election day. Yeah, that's what I and I just I mean, I I, I know you don't want to release them early, but I wonder if if there's any wisdom in in having a policy where you you can count them as they come in. So by election day, you might have a quarter of the votes are already counted, you know, stashed away somewhere in the. In the files yeah. of, of the clerk's office, so it leads to save you some time. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know it, if there's any problems with that or not. It is eight o'clock, Paul, and it's, it's this it? idea that you don't count until the end. But you know, speaking of of how the system just re- is is protective of each voter, every one of those absentee ballots that's opened, you have to look at the or mail ballots. You have to look at the signature and the signature card and uh, make sure that there's no indication, you know, of, of fraud. Um, so, mm-hmm. well, and, and Dane, that's that, the, that's the uh, you know, protection against some of these people that say, oh, well, I got five ballots in the mail. Right. Well, you can't you got five, right. Then, then five, the, your name's only on the voter roll one time. But I think the point we're getting to is to wait until eight o'clock to start that process, you could, you know, do something like uh, every other polling location, create a secure environment, open it at 7 a.m., and have poll workers, uh, you know, without cell phones or anything, actually going through and, mm-hmm. and tabulating those ballots. I mean, other people are voting throughout the day, and those ballots are being tabulated. It would, even just that time, you know, while polls were open, even if you didn't want to get into opening early, like over the weekend or, 
something. I, right. I think it would allow yeah. those, those ballots. Uh, otherwise, we're just not going to get results on election night. You know, we're we're going to get a result on Wednesday or Thursday if you don't start counting till eight eight p.m. You know, how many people can stay up all night counting ballots? Well, we don't Especially have. They've had a long day working the polls. We don't have final numbers um, yet. Uh, but uh, as of about midnight, 74 point something percent, close to 75 percent, had been uh, had been tabulated, and there were some early trends. And one of the things I found interesting, and then I'll be interested to, to hear what some of you thought the the interesting trends from yesterday's uh, primary election were. Um, but uh, one that I noticed is that ballot proposals did very well yes they did and i and i wonder if that has anything to do with the fact that so many people had an opportunity to spend a little bit more time with their ballot than they normally would at a polling place you know that's one of one of the advantages i've often argued for for the mail-in is that for a lot of voters, when they walk into a voting booth and they have a couple, you know, four or five minutes or whatever in, in the booth, they may know who they're voting for, for president or governor or senator, but they don't know about their township officials. They haven't read the ballot proposals, and they walk in there and they see a six-paragraph uh, proposal, and they, they're they not sure what it's all about, so they go, no. But yeah. with the, the, <laughs> they the mail-in... The- they invoke the mail-in, you can say you can see you can get it a week early and you can read that stuff and you know decide how you feel about uh, proposal A or B or C or or how you feel about some township uh, officials who are running you may not have heard about things like that. So it, it really does give the voters a chance to, to study the ballot in a way they really would normally wouldn't have where you walk in uh, in person. Now I don't know if that impacts yes votes or not, but but I tend to. Uh lean toward, you know, Paul, your thoughts that when somebody rushes through a ballot, um, if they see, you know, a big proposal, they're likely to just invoke uh, Groucho Marx's uh, whatever it is I'm against <laughs> it. Yeah, yeah. So, so I think that's one real advantage of the mail-in. I mean, I think there, you know, with, for all the controversy, there are some real advantages to doing it that way. And particularly for the casual voter who doesn't follow every last little election, it does give them a chance to, you know, find out more details about who's running and the proposals and uh, many of those many of those propo- those issues that don't get a lot of coverage these days. I, I think uh, many of the people who went to the polls uh, in the primary really thought about the issues that face their community and the consequences of not supporting their institutions, and uh, <clears throat> and I think they they had much more gravity to support institutions that stabilize our economy and our jurisdictions because school marriages went very well and uh, I was pleased to see the Burton Township people uh, elect uh, uh, provide money for the police's for the police department whereas around the country we're talking about defund the police and uh, that might have been a surprise to many of the people who saw that in action and likely to be a trend for other um, communities to follow likewise. Yeah. Yeah, the, the, the MTA proposal passed, apparently, and the animal control one did as well, the countywide one. So 
but sinking funds around uh, you know in school districts and towns and villages around the county all of the ballot proposals i think they all passed and handled no carmen ainsworth did not oh okay i i stand corrected but in my uh in in my review of them i was i was surprised by just how positively people reacted and um and and also so there was that trend that proposals were doing well and that um turnout seemed or participation i'm going to call it because it's not exactly turnout if you just walk it out to the mailbox but um <laughs> but, but participation was was up yeah. and um but I thought there were there were some interesting other trends. Did did any of you notice any trends in yesterday's uh, election that struck you as uh, worthy of note? You know what struck me is that uh, maybe two things. Number one, most of the the well established incumbents did face challengers, which is a little unusual, I think. And but yet they all I think in Genesee County at least all the uh, at least on on a county wide level. All the uh, the uh, incumbents generally won, I believe, and there may have been some county commissioners who had troubles, but I think most of the countywide officials uh, won. Although they did face, in, in some cases, what could have been substantial challenges from a few people. Well, the sheriff's race was was an interesting one because, yeah. by some definitions, it was an open seat, um, but yet there was. Chris Swanson, who'd been appointed as interim sheriff, you know, functioning in yesterday's campaign as the incumbent, and right. and of course he did very very well, um, garnering. Well, you know, I, I think what saved him is all that publicity he got for that for the the Black Lives Matter march, the na- and the national coverage made his campaign a very strong one when it came down. When Bush came Cer- to show. Certainly didn't hurt, but I think the strategy that was in play there. <laughs> seems to have worked. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, Johnson didn't do badly. Yeah, I, I would have no, thought no. that he he would he would have been a second or third, but he was a second, I think. Uh, well, were, but he and he and Phil Hart combined. He and Phil Hart combined didn't equal the yeah, votes that Chris right. Swanson got. Yeah, yeah. And and, and then so, there was a Republican in there as well. Yeah, know. but he ran unopposed, so we're we're not yeah. talking about him until yeah. There's yeah. there's still still a November election to come up for yeah. all of these races. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that the Republican candidate was Stephen Sanford. Yeah. Um, but uh, David Layton um, faced a challenge, and Which is unusual. Um, and. Uh, Let's see, um, Jeff Wright. John Gleason. John the, Gleason. The, the real sur- now, what's surprising about Gleason is that Gleason did not get the UAW endorsement, uh, and Watson did, although she didn't have much of a visible campaign. I didn't see a lot of signs or mailings from her. I saw some stuff on on social media. But uh, I, think, I think Gleason was concerned about that because of the lack of the UAW endorsement, which is almost... Uh, Almost a guarantee for incumbent Democrats in Genesee County, usually. Well, it used to be. It's not as strong as it was years ago. Yeah, you're right. You're right. <clears throat> but he did win, and there were some. He, there is challenger did close the gap between uh, the powerful um, 
achievement that he's had in over the years against his opponent. Yeah. The gap yeah. was closed. Yeah, that was, and uh, in, in the the Gleason race, he did. He is not as far out ahead of his challenger as the others are. Yeah, but yeah. he's anchored. He's he's very well known. He's very well liked. He was, but I say that the Democratic Party establishment uh, kind of came out against him and on social media. Not too much else, but I think uh, the UAW and. A few other Democratic Party leaders took shots at him during the campaign. So it, it, it carved away at some of the support he would normally have had. David Layton's prosecu- uh, candidate, uh, she showed a lot of moxie. She got 50% of what he achieved, and I would have never guessed that. But she ran a very good race. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. You Tr- that? Uh, Trishelle she got 25000 I think she got... Twelve thousand or something like that. No, almost yeah. seventeen thousand to uh, oh, thirty-four thousand plus. I saw some of the earlier results, I guess. Well, and these are and these are not final numbers, so I've been kind of mm-hmm. staying away from the numbers a little bit. But there are some that are hard to stay away from, like there. You mentioned uh, some of the um, uh, lower offices or or down ballot. Yeah, there's a offices. couple a couple of county commission ones that were very close uh and and may may not be decided yet for all I know. Well, the the one in the 2nd district to replace uh Brenda Clack who decided not to run. Ah, yeah, that's right. That's right. They are at 74% of the vote counted. There are three candidates, Michael Clack, Charles Winfrey, and Corey Lockett. And Corey Lockett is way behind the pack, but Michael Clack and Charles Winfrey are separated by five votes. <laughs> yeah, I'm looking at those same totals here. Yeah, 39.31, for those two. Yeah, that's going to be probably recount territory whenever the votes come in, more than likely. Well, and it's interesting because, you know, Michael Clack is, is next-generation Clack family. Right. Uh, there's been a Clack in that seat for most of everybody's lifetime, I think. Either a click or a clack. (laughs) 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 But I I thought Charles Winfrey is making a really good showing in that race, and I thought it it was going to be a little bit of a runaway for Michael Clack. Um, yeah, yeah well, the, the county commission races will be really interesting to watch because uh, it speaks to this point of whether the electorate is leaning more towards someone new or someone old or or maybe like in a Michael Clack, maybe the combination, right? The new generation, but the family, the family name. I was also looking at the fourth district, which pitted um, Dominique Clemens, who was a newcomer, who actually, at least for for elected office, he's been active as an organizer in the Democratic Party. He's just up by a couple percent ahead of longtime um, Flint Township um, leader Don Wright. So that's one that with that many votes still out, that could still go either way, that that, the, the... the second district, the fourth district. I think those will be interesting to watch over the next day to see where they where they land. Well, and to Dane's point, the uh, eighth district has uh, 
uh, Ted Hammond, or Ted uh, Henry, the incumbent, actually trailing the challenger at this yeah, point. Yeah, he's behind by a, by a fair number of votes right now, at least. Yeah, with with 25% not counted yet, it's it's really hard to... You yeah, know, yeah, to, for, these, for those races, those could change a lot with 25% of the votes out. Um, but there were. But the likelihood of him getting all of those is small. So, uh, if you assume fifty percent, yeah, down Henry's got to pick up about uh, what yeah. five six hundred votes. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's it's um, very interesting. By and large, the uh, incumbents did did well, as one would expect. Um, you got. Uh, in the the state house seats, uh, Cynthia Neely won surprisingly handily. I thought there might be more of a race there. But I thought there was going to be more of a challenge there too. Um, yeah, yeah. I, interestingly, uh, topping the field, there there were four challengers to um, Cynthia Neely's incumbency in the thirty fourth district state house seat, and of those four. Arthur Woodson topped the group. Yes. Yeah. 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 Arthur did a good job. He did, and I, 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 and he had a pretty strong campaign. I saw a lot of you know signs around, mailings, that kind of thing. So yes, he, I was, he I was surprised support. that was such a runaway. And and then um, in the uh, the 48th district was an interesting one because you had incumbent Cheryl Kennedy. And she was challenged in the primary by uh, Andalib uh, Odalate. And there were two Republicans running. Write-ins. That, no, they've... Um, no. And there was a Republican primary in that same district. Between That's going to be a hot race. Uh, between Sherry Cross and David Martin. David Martin yeah. is, is trending oh, yeah. way ahead on that. And um, that's going to be an interesting race in November. You know, a yeah, lot of these be a things. Big one November, we talk about these uh, some of these races as being decided by the primary, and a lot of them are. You know, I think a lot of the the incumbents that that won their seats in the Democratic primary yesterday are going to go on to to get their seat, and in some cases, they're even unopposed by Republicans. But I think that the, the, the 48th in northern Genesee County there, that that area has gone slightly more Republican in recent years, and, and Cheryl Kennedy will have a serious race in her hands from Martin, probably, I think. Um, so, yeah, that, that's going to be one of the more contentious uh, statehouse races, I think. Well, that is, that's going to be especially interesting because they're both Davison people. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's right. That's and right. and I believe uh, the uh, the incumbent uh, in the seventh district is from Davison as well, and um, the right end that I was referring to was Meredith Davis, uh, who was uh, running for that district seat um, by by votes by write-in votes, but I don't know how well she did because I don't I didn't see any results yet. Which um, which race was that? Seventh district. Uh, yes, Southern County Commission. Yes. Was she the Republican? Yeah. Yes. Okay. Let me uh, 
I should have uh, that is here somewhere. Uh, uh, is that the one Smith's going for? Matthew Smith? No, Smith is in Davidson. He's in, uh, uh, I don't remember what district he's in. But, okay, uh, so I'm scrolling through my, my county clerk website here. Uh, Smith is going to be uh, a difficult one for the incumbent. Oh, no, so I see. <clears throat> I see the seventh is, 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 is Martin Quasinu, right? The Democrat who's in Yes, yes. Yeah, okay. I, yeah, yeah. And yeah, who's the Republican challenger? Meredith Davis, Republican. Okay. She's mm-hmm. only about 25 years. Maybe she may be 25 years old. Oh, all right. Yeah. How do you think uh, uh, Tim Kelly seems to be running away with the Republican nomination to take on uh, Dan Kildee? How, how do you think Kelly's going to fare in the general? Um. He will pretty be much respectable. like most Republicans <laughs> in that district. <laughs> most Republicans have got a chance. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I mean uh, the may be a nice guy. Yeah, given uh, the reality of that district, you know, difficult I mean, for Republicans to win. I, I think it but I think it's going to be interesting to watch and see how he does because I, I don't think Tim Kelly is is your typical um, Republican sacrificial lamb. No, he's not. He at one time Tim Kelly was uh, the uh, the governor's uh, advisor on public education, okay. so he has a lot of he has a the lot other, of experience. The other thing I'm I'm going to be interested in as we go into the fall, and this this speaks to the congressional. I I think Dan Kildee's doing uh, you know a fantastic job. He he works very hard. He's he's right on the issues, and I think he's going to win. Um, but it's possible that his margin of victory could be smaller than usual. I think this, I'm also watching this in the Gary Peters John James matchup. Uh, it, you know, the question for me is: Is this election going to be an anti-Trump election, or is it going to be a Democratic wave election? And if it's only anti-Trump then there may be an independent voter in the middle who, let's say, votes for Joe Biden, but then goes down and votes for John James. Um, I think you're going to see a lot of that, Dane. I think it's going to be um, an anti-incumbency thing for, yeah, yeah. for, especially for disenchanted former Trump supporters. And I'm struck by, by, at least so far with James's campaign, that he is not so far that I've seen tied himself to Trump much at all. He's, 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 he's at least the ads I've seen. He, I don't believe he's mentioned Trump once that I'm aware of. No, he's been cautious to uh, kind of uh, divorce himself from the politics of the White House. Well, it's very yeah. interesting. You know, his ads have been really pushing his uh, his military service. And that's that's kind of interesting because, in a way, he's sort of shutting out one of uh, Gary Peters' strengths. Uh, Gary Peters has been uh, policy-wise very good on uh, on veterans and and military issues, 
and you know was probably going to lead with that a little bit but then you see all these uh training videos <laughs> with john james yeah, that's right <laughs> climbing over the wall and everything else <laughs> hey we got to take a break there but we'll come back and we'll talk some more with our uh panel of political pundits as armchair politics continues right after this Hello there, citizens. Darkwing Duck here. And every time I'm in Flint fighting crime, I always stop by the Tom Sumner program. Don't forget, stay dangerous. Darkwing Duck up. The Tom Sumner program plays host to the best political roundtable on radio every Wednesday from 10 a.m. to noon. Armchair Politics features great commentary and analysis about the headlines from local, state, and national politics with an alumni of world-class pundits, plus quotes, tweets, and those weird and wacky stories we call the X-Files. If it's Wednesday, catch Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner program. Do you have feelings of inadequacy? Do you suffer from shyness? Do you sometimes wish you were more assertive? If you answered yes to any of these questions, ask your doctor or pharmacist about tequila. Tequila is the safe, natural way to feel better and more confident about yourself and your actions. Tequila can help ease you out of your shyness and let you tell the world that you're ready and willing to do just about anything. You'll notice the benefits of tequila almost immediately. And with a regimen of regular doses, you can overcome any obstacles that prevent you from living the life you want to live. Shyness and awkwardness will be a thing of the past, and you'll discover many talents you never knew you had. Stop hiding and Start living with tequila. Tequila may not be right for everyone. Women who are pregnant or nursing should not use tequila. However, women who wouldn't mind nursing or becoming pregnant are encouraged to try it. Side effects may include dizziness, nausea, vomiting, incarceration, erotic lustfulness, loss of motor control, loss of clothing, loss of money, loss of virginity, delusions of grandeur, table dancing, headache, dehydration, dry mouth, and a desire to sing karaoke and play all-night rounds of strip poker, truth or dare, and naked twister. Warning, the consumption of alcohol may make you think you're whispering when you're not. Is a major factor in dancing like a retard. May cause you to tell your friends over and over again that you're in love with them. Also may cause you to think you can sing. Alcohol may lead you to believe that ex-lovers are really dying for you to telephone them at four in the morning. Alcohol may make you think you can logically converse with members of the opposite sex without spitting. It may create the illusion that you are tougher, smarter, faster, and better looking than most people. And it may lead you to think people are laughing with you. Alcohol may cause pregnancy. And it also may be a major factor in getting your ass kicked. So what are you waiting for? Stop hiding and start living with tequila. Those hands, no matter whose they are, can spread the germs of many common diseases. That's why I want you to realize how important it is to keep hands clean, to wash them regularly and always before meals with Life Boy, which not only removes dirt, but helps to remove germs. Teach the children this habit. Form it yourself. Always use Life Boy for hands and face as well as the bath. America, your children have an amazing superpower. That's right. They can help save lives by simply washing their hands. Just 20 seconds of thorough hand washing after they've coughed or sneezed or been outside can help fight against the dastardly spread of germs. Armed with only soap and water and hands, your superhero can protect you, your family, and everyone out there in America land. Amazing! Find out more at coronavirus.gov. A message from the CDC and the Ad Council. The interest of goodwill. The Hoffman Beverage Company feels compelled to make this announcement. It's simply this. All Hoffman flavors have that happy taste, except sarsaparilla. We might as well come right out with it. We haven't quite hit that happy, carefree note in sarsaparilla. 
Now, please don't misunderstand us. Our Hoffman Zasparilla is absolutely dependable. It's trustworthy. It's loyal. And many fine, upstanding citizens love it. But it just isn't what we call happy. You take our Hoffman Orange. It's absolutely rollicking. Our lemon is almost giggly. Our black cherry and black raspberry are so bubbling with happiness, they dance in the glass. They all have natural flavor and famous Hoffman Steady Sparkle. We're sorry about Hoffman Sarsaparilla. Why isn't it happy? Well, let me ask you. Could you be happy if your name was... This is U.S. Senator Gary Peters, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. And welcome back, everybody, as we continue with uh, Armchair Politics on today's edition of the Tom Sumner Program. Our roundtable regulars include Paul Rosicki and Henry Hatter, and they're joined today by former Flint Mayor Dane Walling. Um, do you, uh, Tom, guys, can, I, can I just add another comment on the last subject we had? Sure. Just a closing comment? Of course. Uh, about James. Uh, you know, I find uh, that the American people not Republicans or Democrats or whatever. I think they are sensitive to John James because the John James posters are in the rural area and and far away from the cities. I see very few of them in cities, but I see them dispersed throughout the countryside, and and that's a good sign that the American uh, that the people in general like James. Now. He may, he may have some difficulty if he doesn't pick up some portions of the black vote, because that could be the difference. That's my comment. Thank you, do, do, Henry. Do you have any any feeling that he will or, or will not do very well among black voters as a Republican? Uh, <clears throat> well, I, they they're not they're not saying much, and and you know they traditionally vote that ninety percent Democrat. Of a higher position, right, and stuff like that. So, but James is a good, um, it's a good candidate, a good black candidate with uh, the right kind of uh, trust and and sensitivity and faith that American people have in their government, and they what? believe that it's time that they elect a senator um, who has these kind of uh, respectable qualities. Well, it's going to be interesting to watch, and as Dane said earlier. Um, some of the the races to watch uh, in November, and that's certainly a big one here in Michigan. And I think John James is going to do much better against Gary Peters than he did against Debbie Stabenow. And what's interesting about that is he did better against Debbie Stabenow than people expected. Oh, yeah, by a long shot. He was surprising. He was within 5%. I think that, that was the ratio. And this this could be a tough one for Gary Peters because, um, and and John James hasn't exactly won me over with his uh, um, reaching out to people skills, but he, yeah. um, but Gary Peters is not especially good at that too. Yeah, there's there's you know there's the old distinction in U.S. centers used to make between uh, what were called workhorses and show horses. And Peters is probably the workhorse, not that good a show horse in terms of the campaigning stuff. Stabenow may be the reverse of that in some ways. So, ironically, the skills that makes Peters a pretty good senator may make him a little less effective as a campaigner, and that may that may be a factor. Uh, that was a factor, I think, for Spencer Abraham for the as a Republican back in the in the nineties. 
Uh, he was kind of he was not well known in the state. He was fairly well liked in Washington, but didn't get back as often as he might have to do the campaigning kind of stuff. But James does not want to get too much involved with the issues where the country is so racially divided, and people are likely to see any little substance that lean toward Black Lives Matter or Antifa uh, could turn off potential voters that could elect him the senator from yeah, Michigan. Well, I think Pete didn't didn't James have an ad that that made struck me as an attempt to reach out to black voters where he said some fairly favorable things about Black Lives Matter and and uh, yeah all, but all he the had events to be cautious I mean, about how he much was cautious, the, uh, but it was for yeah I mean, yeah, he, did, he did not attack them and he was he was he was kind of reaching it was an attempt to reach out in his own way I thought a, a yes. while ago that's the effort I, that he has to make mm-hmm. there's a there's a dynamic I think in Detroit that we may not pick up on here uh, even though we're just 70-some miles north on I-75, but you know, that's the city where John James's family has, has made their fortune and impact. And um, I think if he can, you know, the, the, this is a difficult call for him because there's, there's a certain amount of Republican voters who are going to be very pro the president and are going to be looking for really strong support <laughs> there. Uh, but... At the same time, you know, President Trump is going to lose Michigan very badly, and um, Don James could, you know, be part of a, a new generation of Republicans who go back, you know, I mean, I know you support this, Henry, you know, go back and are very strong on civil rights and very strong on economic empowerment, and I think those messages can do well with the American people. I, I just, I don't think this election... The American people are going to stand behind, you know, the racism and the nativism um, that we've been seeing, unfortunately, out of the White House. Yeah, I think it's, uh, and, and as, as Dane said, it's going to be interesting because I think people are going to jump back and forth across the aisle on their ballots in November, especially if there's a lot of right-in voting where people have time to sit and really think about it. It's going to be a lot less of that... Uh, you know, check one party box or the other. <laughs> That's also a good point, Tom. Yeah, I think with, with, when you've got a chance to think about it, you may see less straight ticket voting than we've had in the past because that was that was used to used to be a, a major factor in, in our elections in Michigan, but that may decrease as a result of that too. And it's also so one be, of the things that I I think the the American people are looking for right now. They are tired of of. Uh, shifting from in bad directions. They want stability in their communities. They want stability in the nation. They want stability in their schools and stuff. They want people to kind of work together, even if you don't like each other or don't look like each other. They want that stability. And whenever you have countries or communities that's uh, unstable, there's always a change of leadership at the top. And just one final thought on uh, on mail-in voting um, in November. Um, you know, we're seeing more participation, I think, as a result of mail-in voting. And there's there's this long-held belief that more turnout was, especially in Michigan, was good for Democrats. But I think with mail-in voting. Yeah. I think we're going to find 
that despite all the rhetoric coming out of the uh, White House and the president about uh, negatively toward mail-in voting, I think a lot of Republicans are going to embrace mail-in voting. And so I don't think Democrats, uh, if there's a, a greater turnout, are going to dominate the same way that we typically think. I think you're right. I mean, I think you're right. historically, at the states that do use mail-in voting, several of them are strong Republican states. Place like Utah is a mail-in voting state, and that's not exactly a Democratic stronghold. So <laughs> no, is there, there's no guarantee for uh, for Democrats with this. One of the things I said, if you remember, I said this a couple of weeks ago, that Republicans are not afraid of cheating at the polls as much as Democrats appear to be. And uh, they take this as a, as a stride and change that time and technology brings to us. They take that as a blessing to the process. Well, the Free Press, um, you know, posted uh, a, a list of things to consider going into um, yesterday's primary about what the rules were, like, for example, not splitting your ticket. And um, one of the things that they posted was that ID was not going to be required. And I reposted it on my Facebook page, and somebody jumped on, you know, that thing about no voter ID right away. And... I, I was, I didn't engage, but, but I, but I have to comment on it. Is I don't mind showing my ID when I go to the polls to vote, but I'm not concerned about its impact on the security of the voting, because those ballots, as Dane referenced earlier, they're checked against the signature cards. And, mm -hmm. you know, so the idea that a bunch of people are going to show up and pretend to be me just seems kind of ludicrous to me. Yeah, and again, yeah. there's so little evidence of that ever happening in any significant way. Um, no, I think, I think the kind of shenanigans that happen with elections have a lot more to do with, um, you know, ballot uh, boxes of ballots disappearing and... Oh, well, sure. Know, or ballot box. I mean, I, I grew up around the Chicago area, so I've heard all those stories. And some of those are <laughs> you true. probably got a box of ballots in the trunk of your car, Paul. That's right. He knows where Hoppe is. There's that all famous for story of. <laughs> right. There's that famous story of uh, when LBJ won his first Senate race, so I, think in, I think it was 1948. Of all of a sudden, a bunch of ballots showed up in some county in southern Texas, and they were all in alphabetical order, <laughs> all with the same pen. <laughs> oh, that's funny. And, uh, they, he was called Landslide Linden, and right after that, that narrow victory, when he first won his first Senate seat. <laughs> oh, that's cute. Well, we've got about a minute before we break at the top of the hour. Any final comments on uh, yesterday's election? Uh, there, there may be a couple of things that'll that'll trickle over into the next hour, but I want to move on to some other things. Uh, how do you explain uh, what was Davis' uh, reelection and uh, some of the others that were critics of the board and the process? Which people were re-elected to the board after tremendous amounts of, of which uh, which board? Uh, yeah, I'm sorry, 
the, the Flint, the Flint City Council. Oh, they there weren't there any. Were, there weren't any. There were no uh, council races up. Yeah, there were no council races yesterday. This is an off. There, there, there were some in Flushing. Flushing had a couple of council races, I think. Yeah, but Grand Blanc Township did yeah. as well. Uh, but but not in Flint. Anyway, we are oh, going to break yeah. for time. I was reading that, and maybe that was from a couple of years ago. We're going we're gonna, to uh, break for top of the hour, and we'll be right back with the second half. Okay. Hi, I'm Alexander Zanjic. Don't touch that dial. You're listening to Tom Sumner. 